Dotnet Rocks episode 619 with guest Sean Wildermuth, recorded live Tuesday, December 14th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Talaric and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl, it's Richard, we're here. And uh, I'm not here, however. Richard's there, but I'm not here. You're somewhere. I am in Minnesota, in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, where as I was flying in, I'll tell you why I'm here in a second, but as I was flying in, the kid in the seat next to me, who was obviously from some Saharan uh, arid place, said, Dad, Dad, look, there's snow. Serious, Dad, look, snow. Wow, it's everywhere. Dad, look, snow, Dad. And I was thinking, oh, wow. You must be from Florida or something. But um, I'm here because Rocky Latka is hosting a PDC event. Oh, right. Yeah. This is the time of the live PDC kind of things. Yeah. The local RDs are essentially hosting, well, the participating RDs. I didn't do it. You didn't do it. But no. hosting a PDC in your town. And so I'm at the Microsoft office in Minneapolis. And I got to stay at Rocky's house. Last night, nice. and I'm going to stay again tonight in the guest room, which is cool. Got to meet his his uh, one of his sons, anyway, who's a bass player. And then Rocky showed me on his Windows phone some video of him playing at a local talent show with his band, which was pretty good. Tim, shout out to Tim. And uh, also, uh, I was awoken in the middle of the night by a very cold, wet nose of a very friendly dog. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's just, you know, pretty cool that Rocky Latka is just like an ordinary guy with a house and a dog and a kid who plays bass. Nice. And was working on a school project, a model, a 3D model of a red blood cell, ladies and gentlemen. Awesome. We had to stop on the way back from the airport at Walgreens to get glue. Just an ordinary, ordinary guy. How very domestic. Yeah. Yeah. It was very nice. Well, and his wife, Teresa, is fantastic, too. Awesome. So anyway, that's my story. I'm not going to do a Better Know Framework because I'm sitting in a conference room. I came here, actually, to record some DNR TV shows Oh yeah, with, with Magenic employees and Magenic consultants. And so far, it's going great. And uh, so, But it's a little bit noisy in the conference room and a little boxy and echoey. And then the next conference room over, they're doing some talking. So I'm actually sitting here in a chair with my wool coat over my head. Because that's how seriously you take audio quality. <laughs> that is my, that's how serious I am to the dedication of the quality of sound of this show. You're going to so. wear a wool coat over your head. Well, I'm actually in my office for a change and recording a show in a conventional way, which we have not done in a while. Yep, it's true. We've been busy, well, busy, Well, we busy. did last week. But. There you go. Uh, but I do have an email, but I'm afraid... It's not a very serious email. Well, maybe it's a little serious. Let me read it to you. Uh, dear dudes, and by the way, excellent way to start an email. What a great way to start an email. Yep. I went to the airport and started to download .NET Rocks episodes to my laptop. As soon as I tried to go through security, my laptop sounded an alarm, which it did not do before downloading .NET Rocks. I got oh, the works I with a pat down. 
Normally, I don't like oh. being touched by a man, but this plat down was pleasant. Uh, okay. Say, if I download even more .NET Rocks to my laptop, will I get a cavity search next time? <laughs> he I don't know what to say to that. He doesn't say if that's, that's a good thing or a bad thing. He just asks I, the question. I think it's a reasonable it's very, question. It's very ambiguous. It's, I'm not sure what to think. <laughs> um, I don't know that I want to. Okay, so that's like the only airport security email I'm ever going to read. So don't worry about sending any more. But uh, Arnie, I'm going to send you a mug. Thanks for your email. We all got a laugh. And uh, I think I'm, the answer you're looking for is no. I'm actually a little uh, a little nervous about flying these days because, as you know, they put you through these full body scanners and they see you naked. And I said to the, the guy on the other side, are you going to call me? <laughs> and he, he, he wasn't too happy with that question but he didn't detain me any further there you go just said go just get away now. from me you need you need to go you need to go now <laughs> yeah. so uh before we introduce sean just want to say real quick our friends at infusion are hiring our dotnet listeners our dotnet rocks listeners like gangbusters in Poland, in Dubai, in Toronto, in London, and in New York City. If you're interested in changing jobs and working with a very creative company and a good salary and all-around good people, send me an email, carl at franklins.net. So, Sean Wildermuth is here. Hey, guys. Still a C-sharp MVP? No, not for a while now. I'm actually a data MVP. There's a small group of us who are not focused on SQL Server, but focused on the uh, Surface Surfacing data to, you know, apps. Oh, right. So the whole WCF, Oslo, WF, like that, and that whole, they used to call it the connected group, right? Yeah, actually, it's more um, uh, in the framework, ADO.net, uh, OData. Um, uh, WCF is kind of thrown in there, but it's more about data access than it is uh, about the connected system. And I've managed not to say mm -hmm. Oslo. Oops. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have let's, now. Let's, that, that's a painful, painful memory. Let's uh, <laughs> move on. I don't on. know what you're talking about. It's the capital of Norway. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but but actually, your life is dominated by phone, near as I can tell. Yeah, phone and Silverlight. You know, it's odd that someone who uh, is so passionate about data has ended up paying so much attention to the UI these days. Um, but I'm writing a book on Windows 7, as many of you know, and we're discussing what the right title is going to be. I'm still shooting for the Windows Phone book, but uh, nice. I think they want yeah. uh, something much longer because I think they, they have the impression that people buy books by paying by the letter of the title. So the longer um, the title, the better? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my current impression of technical books. Actually, all books, if you've noticed, every, every book now gets a long subtitle. Yeah. Well, you know, on, on Tuesday we had Scott on, Scott Guthrie, the goo, oh, sort of talking about... Scott, that's fine. Yeah, sort of talking about uh, Silverlight 5 a little bit and, um, you know, sort of quelling everybody's unfounded fears that Silverlight is going away in, fa in favor of HTML5 and all these crazy things. Um. What was your take on that whole that whole period of time where people were running around like uh, the world was going to end? 
Well, anyone who's followed me for a while knows that I mean, uh, you know, I'm usually the first one to panic. <laughs> but <laughs> in this particular case, uh, I didn't because my attitude and what I've been teaching for you know for four or five years now in Silverlight is that Silverlight isn't about the web; it's about apps. So if you're building yeah. websites and you're using Silverlight as your front end, you're probably making a mistake. This was the yeah. this was true for Flash and this is true for Silverlight. And so you know the maturation that's happening with HTML5 is awesome, um, but I don't think it changes anything. Uh, um, you know, my I had a fairly short blog post that talked about this, and I really said HTML is for the is for websites and Silverlight is for web apps, and that's still kind of where I sit. Uh, I think. The majority of Silverlight usage continues to be uh, in the enterprise space to build, you know, whether it's uh, <coughs> um, consumer-based apps or more likely business-to-business apps. That's what most of our. I think where people drew the doing. parody was because Silverlight is used for Windows Phone applications, and you know, iPhone is all HTML5 essentially. So there, there's a situation where the two technologies sort of come together for the same platform. Well, in the theory, but if we look at what Apple did, um, I, I think this is a this is exactly the learning space, right? So Apple came out with the iPhone, and everyone went, "Ooh, I have to have one because I, I have to, you know, wear my white headphones uh, everywhere I can, and everyone will think I'm cool." And when it came to the developers, Apple said. Uh, what do you mean you need an, an SDK? There's the web. Just write web-based apps. And mm-hmm. the 12 people who cared to do that just complained that they couldn't get at the hardware. So Apple kind of mm-hmm. reluctantly backed into the App Store. I don't know if I'm not really re- rewriting history, but I think my, uh, um, Apple has tried to rewrite their history. But the App Store was something they were talked into, not, not really something that they wanted to do. Yeah, yeah I think Steve Jobs' quote was, third-party applications will be accessed through Safari. Right. Their browser. That's what it was all about. Um, and so, mm. I mean, I, I think that tells the real story on the iPhone is that sure, being able to build sites that run well on Safari on the iPhone and run well, you know, on uh, uh, on the browser on Android and and uh, again on the Windows Phone is a is an important smart story. But I think apps are a much bigger story there, and uh, and yeah. having and and. Uh, you would think that, oh, I can build it in HTML5 and then it'll work on the Android or work on iPhone or work on the Windows phone and will be good, except that um, no one's going to be happy with that level of of uh, yeah. interaction, I think. I think you're going to have to dive down into a real API framework, which means three different frameworks for phones. Three? Three. Uh, you have uh, iOS um, or Objective-C on the iPhone, You've got Java on the Android, and you've got Silverlight on the Windows Phone. Right. Now, you uh, are uh, obviously a Silverlight guy. You you teach Silverlight classes. In fact, we did a thing with you at DevConnections uh, this past fall, just a couple of weeks ago, where you in Vegas uh, taught a, uh, a pre-con. Wasn't it a pre-con? It was. It was a pre-con. We spent a day teaching people how to write. Windows Phone apps, and um, actually Microsoft graciously and secretly <laughs> uh, gave everyone in the class a phone to kind of, you know, spur yeah. that. And uh, it went really well. Uh, it was interesting to hear some of the feedback, because some of the folks in the class were um, people who were already building apps for other phones, and 
and uh, you know, seeing the ease of development on the um, the Windows Phone is awesome. It's a great story. Uh, uh, and you also teach Silverlight classes for business apps. Did did any of your customers or potential customers call you after that whole uh, thing went down with Bob Muglia and wonder, you know, if they should continue taking the class? Because I had heard of other trainers who had uh, customers cancel on them because of that. We didn't have any cancellations. We did have a lot of questions. We had a lot of our past students come back to us as well as some of our existing you know, consulting customers come to us and go, what's the deal? And I, you know, basically told them, what, you know, what I just told you guys, which is, you know, relax. If you look at what Microsoft's doing, they're doing the exact same thing. Their Silverlight is becoming the, the app model across their web story as well. If you look at Azure, if you look at uh, you know, even the Windows Phone App Store, um, not App Store, but the uh, developer portal, it's a bunch of Silverlight apps because they figured out they're writing these these small, discrete application level sort of functionality. It's just a lot easier in Silverlight. Yeah. It's like you know we've known out here for a while. Um, unfortunately, I think it's your Microsoft is a is a behemoth, and there's because mm. uh, any large organization have some some politics, and I think there were some politics involved in the HTML5 yeah. versus Silverlight thing. Mm. And I certainly well, think Bob uh, misspoke. I don't know that well, he actually that said, did. His quote seemed a little obscure, the way he phrased it. But what he actually said was accurate, which is that what he said in a roundabout way was that he knows perfectly well Silverlight will never show up on the iPhone. And and so HTML5 has a strength there. Sure. I mean, that's its advantage. That's really all he said. He just didn't say it in a very direct way. He referenced iOS. You know, he led with phone rather than line of business apps, although he mentioned line of business apps. Like, he said all the right things. He just said them in a funny order. Water under the bridge. So I want to talk a little bit more about Silverlight 5, which um, I'm sure you're very excited about. What, um, what, what you know, Rocky was just doing a, uh, an opening keynote here at the PDC, and he said his favorite feature of Silverlight 5 is going to be, because it doesn't exist yet, is going to be the idea that you can debug uh, binding statements. I think the debugging the debug. of, of, of data binding in Silverlight 5 is really cool and will help business developers a lot. Um, I don't really have a favorite feature. That's a really cool uh, feature, and I think will help, I, like I said, certainly help people. Um, I really like Silverlight 5 for the kind of uh, it's a bunch of smaller pieces of functionality that all really fit well together. Uh, and some of them yeah. are really for framework guys, uh, like the ability to finally build markup extensions and things like that. And some of it is really for the kind of the end, uh, uh, you know, the uh, uh, trench developers, as I'd like to call them, the people building the apps. Um, that's where you get into things like uh, debugging a better printing story. Uh, finally, you know, no bitmap printing, which was which was a a problem to begin with. Um, plus, a, you yeah. know, there's just a bunch of smaller features. Um, uh, it's interesting that they finally framed it as media and business apps because that's yeah, that's really what it's been. You know, since it really is. You um had obviously had a wish list before this was announced. How many of the items on your wish list have been addressed? Well, you know, I'm in a peculiar place because I have some very particular things, and so about half of my wish list got met. Um, I'm still a little frustrated by the um, the nature of of uh, um, support for 
um, certain things around data binding that I'd like to see mature a little more, um, some better support for um, um, writing your own collections uh, that are that are bindable. Um, there's uh, still a bit too much that is sealed in Silverlight that isn't sealed in in the, the .NET framework, and and some of that I'd like to see you know come come to more parity, uh, especially mm. some of the interfaces that we need to implement. Uh, but that's, that's yeah. mostly for framework guys, much more than for for developers. What's interesting about Silverlight is they really focused on instead of making it cool for the people that are writing, you know, uh, these deep frameworks that help people. They've they've really focused on the end users by really um, looking at what developers building business apps need. And and for the most part, I think they really they really hit uh, hit the sweet spot in Silverlight Five. Um, Does it bother you that we have no right-click menu support? You do have right-click menu support. You well, have I thought that in 4. a Silverlight application, you right-click and you get the Silverlight option, and that's it. Can you actually populate that menu? You can, but you can override it and provide your own. In fact, the built-in Silverlight toolkit has a context menu control that does it all for you. And that's really? existed since Silverlight 4. Maybe it's just a thing that I have never seen a Silverlight application that doesn't that does that. So I just assumed that it wasn't possible. Well, here's the thing: if you're building really for cross-platform, and we can talk about the cross-platform oddities in a minute, um, right-click isn't natural except for Windows guys. And so right. I find that a lot of people building business apps for Windows using Silverlight tend to use right-click. I see it a lot in my class. But if you're building something more cross-platform, right-click makes no sense. You're right. And, and right-click right. really doesn't work for touch. Right. Because, you know, there is no right-click finger. Yeah, <laughs> it ends up, you know, you end up doing long yeah. hold, which has kind of the same idea, but it's a completely different paradigm. Yeah, I'm used to this. Actually, Richard, if you use your pinky. You yeah, there you then, go. No. So I'm used to it with a tablet because I use the pen all the time, and you hold the pen yeah. down, the little circle appears, and that's your right-click, and you do right, the same right. thing with touch. But I think I'm like the only guy. Yeah. Nobody else does that. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a little while. It, it's it's not you know, the problem with right click and long touch has always been discoverability is low for people who aren't used to it. It's yeah. high for people who are purely Windows guys. You know mm. my big my big complaint since we're talking about, you know, Windows is uh that they've entrenched themselves a little bit more towards providing more Windows specific functionality. P invoke. Um, P invoke. Um, yeah, I don't mind the feature P invoke. I mind the feature P invoke um, being something that makes it look like on the outside that they're moving t- uh, um, further away from Mac support. Um, I think it, P invoke would have been fine if they would have announced Apple Script is is also available through the uh, Automation Factory or as everyone else calls it, Com Support. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight analytics framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight analytics framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, 
you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. I like having platform-specific features in Silverlight because sometimes the best feature of Silverlight is just deployment. Whether it's a Mac app or whether it's a Windows app, I, I love the fact that I can just bring people to a website and they can install it as a desktop application without having to do any of that one-click stuff, even that was supposed to be easy. And it is sure. relatively easy, but it's still a pain in the ass. But this, you know, it means that I, I'm going to write code, and I've said this for a long time. The moment we say, if Mac, else, if PC. Well, I don't think those are the kind of applications we'll be writing. If we're, if you're writing an application that needs P-Invoke, you're obviously writing an app for Windows. And the, the, the decision wasn't, you know, was made before you started writing the app that this is going to be a Windows app because we have this feature in Silverlight. Now we can do it in Silverlight so that we get the benefit of distribution uh, of that application that Silverlight brings. Sure, sure. That's why I like it. I, I don't think just because the feature is there that people are stupid enough to say, you know, let's write platform-specific stuff in an app that's supposed to be cross-platform. I think that, you know. Sure, but the, the the people that it scares me about aren't the developers. It's the CTOs, right? Should we, should we be using Silverlight in our organization? Well, it looks like it's turning into WPF. It's not looking like it's going to be a cross-platform um, um, pitch because the bullet points I read yesterday in Mary Jo's column said that there's a bunch of Windows-specific stuff. I didn't really read through the whole list. I just summarized. And, and that's... that's the bigger fear. It's not about the what they did. It's about the message it gives. Um, I I don't care about the message. I, know. <laughs> I just want to know what I can do. If it helps me do what I want to do, then I like it. You know, the real problem I've got with this whole HTML5 debate is how many times have we had to go through lowest common denominator development techniques don't work? I'm actually giving an HTML5 talk. Uh, in about four hours at the local user group, um, I'm sure Silverlight will come up, but that's not the that's mm. not really the focus. It's interesting because we're about to launch a HTML a MVC three HTML five course. Nice. Um, and the uh, you know I I I lived through the HTML three and then HTML four. Both are we're going to fix everything phase. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and HTML5, I think, is very, very similar there. A lot of what they've added is awesome, you know, but it's, is it going to change the way we do development? No. It's not even going to change the way we play video on the web, as far as I'm concerned. Since the whole, since there's no DRM and no one can decide on what the codecs are going to be supported. Um, I think all it does is muddy the water there. There's some features in there that I'm, I'm ecstatic to have. Um, but to me, it, it isn't. Um, it isn't a huge step forward. Yeah. So I've been reading this new book called Up and Running with HTML5, which is a really great dis- discussion of not only HTML5 but kind of the history of where we got here, which is I think for a lot of web developers is something they haven't seen yet. Uh, 
And one of the discussions he has is that, you know, even going back as far as HTML2, it was um, that whoever shipped bits wins. So he actually describes this long discussion of how the image tag works. And it Mm. works the way it works today because they shipped uh, an early version of Netscape with it. That's the reason it works that way. Not because they decided the right way to do it was this way or that way, but because someone shipped a browser. Hmm. No, and it's important because once people get start using it, and you actually now you're taking a specification and actually defining it in code how things right. actually work. No spec is good enough. How does it actually yeah. work? But more importantly, I think the HTML specs from the beginning have been um, retrofitted. So the spec has has been written to meet the bits, not totally. the bits have been written to meet the spec. Right. Although you think that's it's true a, with HTML5 as well? I do, because you have you have a number of engines out there who have implemented it in subtly different ways. Yeah. And yep. at some point, the spec will go, okay, we're going to pick them as the winner, and then you guys have to fix your bits. But it seems like they're really trying to avoid that. I mean, HTML is really the biggest kludge there ever was. You know, because of that, and and especially the way that it's implemented in across browsers, that's only I think it's only going to get more complex with HTML5. But the, you can see there, what is it? The document that's out there says there won't be a final spec for another what eight years or something or ten years. Yeah, but that's always the case with HTML um, specs. I mean, that hasn't changed a, a ton. There's a great, uh, if you go to uh, uh, Wikipedia and look at HTML5, they have this great chart of the different engines, the current versions, and what they support from HTML5. And it'll scare the death out of any web developer. I'm actually going to show it tonight oh. because it's it's like, you know, even if you look at Safari and Chrome and Firefox, who all are really trying to stay on the edge, what they, what they support is invariably different. If you... Throw eight, hmm. uh, the chart does, hasn't even been updated for HTML9 yet. It's really just talking about those three, and it's co- completely frightening that you would that you would do this. It's interesting in the in the up and running with HTML5 book, he spends a lot of time on going. This is how you d- detect if this this feature works. I'm like, oh, that's that's nasty. Um, I so, think you meant you for know, IE9, not HTML9. Did I say HTML9? Yeah, just for the, we'll we'll clean that up in the transcript. Okay, thanks. So yeah, my sense here is that we cannot avoid if browser version code in HTML5, it's going to happen. Well, hopefully it'll happen in ASP.NET and not in our apps, right? You would hope. I mean, that's what machine config is all about, right? Well, I think actually what you're going to see is what we see today with HTML4, which is that the uh, jQuery is going to hide it from us more so than I think uh, ASP.NET. Mm. Mm. Which is a lot of what happens today with if you use a lot of the jQuery extensions. Yeah. It's, it's got to be absorbed somewhere. Yeah. So HTML5, um, jQuery, Silverlight, they all imply something I've been, been looking at. I'm working on a project I can't quite share yet very publicly. But one of the things that really occurred to me is that um, as we're building 
uh, UIs, as we're building interfaces, the goal there is to really get at uh, as many faces as possible to get those interactions. And if you look at a lot of the kind of popular services out there today, they're seeing this. And so it's no longer good enough to just build a website. It's no longer good enough to build a, a rich client. It's it's uh, uh, it's up to you as an organization that you end up having to build a bunch of these. Right. So to get that those touch points, you end up building public-facing website, internal apps, and then now you have all these touch points on devices, whether that's an HTML um, representation for the iPhone uh, and the iPad, or whether that's actual apps for the you know the big the big uh, uh, f- uh, phones and and, and um, devices. I think. It becomes more difficult to get at more people right now. You know, who, if you have a smartphone, when was the last time you went to Twitter.com or Foursquare.com for, yeah. for that matter? No, you don't. You you use the app. Right. So, I mean, this is the, the sort of counter argument of those things. It makes kind of nutty is we've already shown consistently that the web interface, especially on mobile, is inadequate. We need to build apps for each of these platforms. Yep. And you need the website. I mean, the point is that you need both. And sure, that means that uh, developers have more work, but it also means they have to do more work. Right. So Mm -hmm. here's the question, Sean. Which do you build first? Um, I think you have to build the site first. The website. Mm -hmm. I really think you have to build the website. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll assume that you're building infrastructure behind that anyway. Because whatever you build in an app's uh, in an app space is going to use the same back end that right. the website does anyway. So right. what you're really doing is Not only that, but you can site. access the website on your phone. Right. And so it certainly gets those early adopters in, but I don't think you get the stickiness from the website that you're going to see from apps. Well, I think the other side... Oh, of course it, not. The other thing is that you can't... That website you build probably can't just be HTML5 either. You're going to have to make sure it tolerates quote-unquote down-level browsers. Yeah. Well, and again, I think this is a job for Guthrie and all, you know, that uh, that ASP.NET does that. Because that's been ASP.NET's job is to protect us developers from, you know, the requirements of these different browsers. And it's done a pretty good job at that. In some ways, the, the, the problem is that building a website, HTML4 or HTML5, today for consumption on on computers primarily uh, makes it woefully, uh, woefully inadequate to browse on a device except for maybe the iPad, right? The right. iPad has the sort of real estate there, but for really browsing on phones, it's it's awful. And you end up having to do those old, you know, techniques of sniffing the user agent and then presenting them a completely different view. Right. MVC the- helps us there, or ASP.NET MVC helps us there in that we can fork off those views pretty easily without changing mm. uh, you yeah. know, the way we're getting at that data, but it still requires us to write, even on a website, you know, two or three versions of the same page. So they, and the, yeah, the mobile, you end up with those M dot domains that are a minimal client. Well, it's getting worse than that. You're getting an M dot and you're getting an iOS dot. Right. Because mm. the people that are building uh, um, these mobile versions say the mobile version is fine, but we have to have our website now look like it's an app when they go there on the iPhone. Which right. to me, I'm like, really you 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 want to you, you want to start up that hill because it's a big hill. 
you're going to start, you know. Yeah, why wouldn't you pour that energy to just building an iPhone app? Right. Kind of my my attitude. Okay. Hmm. I mean, so the the strength I see in the whole Silverlight equation here is that the same tools, same language, same techniques, and probably a fair chunk of the same code is going to run on your desktop, in the browser, and on the phone. Correct. But only one of the phones. But only one of the phones, correct. You know, speaking of this, Sean, on Tuesday we had our first ad spot from IdeaBlade, and they make this product called DevForce. Have you heard of it? I have. We actually just entered a new partnership with them. We're giving it away at all our classes now. So, you know, um, what's good about it is that you write your data layer once, and with the same code base it supports every different kind of .NET app there is. So a testament to the fact that, you know, if your domain is small enough, like data access, you can produce a single code base that goes onto all these different types of applications. So you've you've used it and you like it. Um, you know, I haven't used it a, a enough to say I love it. Um, I I like a lot of what the the guys over there are doing and and the approaches they've taken. I haven't used it in a production app, so I I don't want to give the false you know just because they're a partner. Yeah. That, Ooh, it's the best thing. I everything I've seen so far, I really like. I just can't tell you that I've used it in a production app, and I love it. That's exactly where I am too. I mean, I've I've seen it, I've played around with it, and I've used it. And the you know the the stuff that I've seen, I've been very very impressed with. Well, it does it does sort of go uh, a little ways to solve some of the problems. Data access is certainly not the the only problem that we have, but uh, it's a big one. Sure, I'm actually doing a series for the. Uh, for the uh, uh, for the data team right now, um, in consuming a, a, an OData feed from sixty different platforms, including uh, an iPhone app, an Android app, PHP, as well as a couple of .NET variants. So it's mm. kind of interesting to see the same backend store being consumed by, you know, half of them are non .NET um, um, endpoints. Interesting. And so, what mm. is the backend uh, endpoint? Is it WCF? It's WCF Data Services, okay. which ends up exposing an OData feed, as they call it. Right. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. You said that. It is OData, and OData it seems is to O-Data. be... It is OData, yeah. That seems to be the winner, don't you think? I that, love OData. Yeah. Well, it's weird because, uh, again, I think messaging is a little confused over there at Microsoft in that OData in some spaces is getting a lot of traction, but it's not getting a ton of traction in the serverlight space, and I'm still confused why. Um, well, because when I when I look at OData versus RIA services, I don't understand why right. people would use RIA services. <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I'm kind of with you. Yeah. Uh, it seems like a sexy demo, which is, I think is what's happening, and then people start to get a little ankle deep, and it, they start to see that the water is I think maybe, Sean, people are doing RIA services because that's what they've been told they need to do, and so OData is a little too much too little too late and for them and for for some business apps odata doesn't work well because it's a little too open you you don't want you want yeah. something that's a little more uh, uh, um, uh, a, a tighter ship to the data you're exposing out to the web um, and so ria services or even um, you know web services or rest services still make more sense in some of those cases so it isn't unfortunately it isn't a winner and loser it's they all work in the right case. Yeah, the first time I saw a demo of updating a database through a URL, I thought, ow, 
That's going to have to be secured. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's the challenge. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's uh, exposing the kind of data that you want people to consume and want people to mash up. If you think of things like the Amazon library, uh, um, catalog or, or, uh, you know, government data, you, the read on the the right story isn't as important there as being able to have a lot of people consume that data in a variety of different ways. Um, so again, different use cases, I think. So where are we going from here? You think? I mean, obviously the phones do for a big Oslo. Rev. I think is going to wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't say the O word. Don't you be saying the O word. I think Chris Alves is going to yeah yell at me. He'll find you. Yeah. <laughs> He'll let you down. Well, you know, he's now working on a, uh, under Scott Goo's group with the uh, uh, within building new IDEs for jQuery uh, uh, for JavaScript in general, but including jQuery. Interesting. He, yeah, he's no longer in the connected division. He just moved over. He always loved that stuff, anyway. I think the other thing that's really compelling here, and, and this is, you know, Carl, you're hinting at this around ASP.NET and so forth, is we haven't seen what Microsoft's html5 offerings really gonna be well yeah we can kind of we can kind of assume that it's going to be within the context of asp.net because asp.net is the current code generator for html4 you know so the the tools that emit html4 will emit html5 the thing that the thing that's going to be challenging of course is finding those tools that cross over both 4 and 5 and then adding the tools that are 5 specific because there's so much stuff with HTML5. I mean, just the idea of fonts, you know, of real fonts that you can that you can do markup like posters with and, you know, and it's text. It's not graphics, stuff that you'd have to use images for. You know, there's going to have to be new tools for that or, you know, you do you what and what do you do? Do you just modify the label to support, you know, those dynamic fonts, or do you and then and then disable those fonts if you're looking with a browser that doesn't support HTML5, or do you have, you know, they're, they're, those are those are the questions I think that I have. Yeah, how are we going to down level well? Yeah, and a lot it's of the be a challenge. that they've been pushing, I think, is trying to get people to. Learn HTML. I mean, I know that the mm. strong suit in web forms was that you don't need to know HTML. You can think about it in, as controls and such. But right. as you look at uh, Razor and WebMatrix and some of the uh, you know closer things, they're, I think they're trying to get people to think about HTML more because they're, I think people are going to spend more time building their views, knowing more about the markup than they are the designer. That 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 makes me think. Okay. Maybe that means, you know, we're going to be working with more designers than we have been, which is good, um, except that we don't have a good tool that integrates them. Web, uh, expression web is, is laudable for some of the things it's trying, but it's still not there. It's still just, um, you know, you can, uh, load up a, um, a website from a, from a solution file, but there's no source integration. There's no recompilation at all. It's just kind of, F5 launches it with a version of, uh, of, uh, of IAS, but, you know, if they're, if they change anything that may have caused markup to change, it, it's not necessarily gonna rebuild anything. It means checking in binaries and 
other nasty stuff to make that work. I, I think we have to have something in the middle. Uh, whether that's Visual Studio or not, I don't care. We have to have something that designers are going to be comfortable with. Uh, as I've said before, blend for the web. Yeah. Therein lies the challenge, and it, it's going to be a big one. Well, oddly, I've been yelling this since Silverlight 2, so if Microsoft hasn't heard it, it's their own fault. <laughs> so <that's, laughs> uh, where do you see the relationship between WPF and Silverlight these days? I would, you know, I've been asked this for a while now, and I don't think my opinion has changed a lot. I think there's going to be a mix of merging and cannibalism. So uh, I think at some point, WPF, enough of the of the of the feature set that makes people go to WPF, will just have them do Silverlight. Right. Uh, and the the tune has changed over at Microsoft, uh, uh, especially when Silverlight Five was announced. The 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 opinion there was, well, if you're going to start a new project, start in Silverlight, and if you end up hitting a wall where you need more functionality, you can you can migrate that to WPF. Right. Whereas the reverse is much harder. Yes. Yeah, it's hard to get to Silverlight. So Silverlight still feels like the subset. Although with the announcement around GPU support for Silverlight, it feels to be like the 3D barriers are about to fall. Yeah, until I see bits, I'm I'm a little suspicious of that because sure. what's interesting is the 3D bits aren't going to look like the WPF 3D bits. No. Why do you say no, that? No, my 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 inclination is because remember we're talking about a platform that has to work on the phone is that it's going to look more like X and A. The other thing I've played with recently was the Surface Toolkit, which is built for WPF. Mm -hmm. And it's just wrapping up. It's basically creating controls that were really suited for Surface, which is, of course, WPF. But it makes touch so much more approachable. Sure. And But that's it doesn't run on Silverlight, at least not yet. At least not yet. Yeah, it's... It, Ditching because like the the lower level pieces, the manipulation and the touch classes are in Silverlight, but they're they're kind of um, you're told not to touch them yet, <laughs> um, pun intended. Yeah. And um, you'll see that the it's interesting because the touch support you're seeing on the phone, which is really what you want on the on the you know on the desktop too. Uh, I, I think it'll be another backport situation. Where right. You see some of the ways they're they're getting it right on the phone and then um, bringing it back over to the um, to the full framework. Well, the thing that excited me about looking at the toolkit was it was the first time it almost felt like a uh, a UI design guideline. Here were obviously the new style of controls we should be using. Yeah, mm. as opposed mm -hmm. to what they've been with WPF so far, which is largely punt. Right, you guys right. figure it out. Yeah. We're we're letting you design it any way you want, but we're not going to give really any advice yeah. on what that looks like. So they're going to continue to look like gray apps that happened underneath be using XAML. Right. So Sean, well, where are you going to be in the next? I don't know, three or four months, beginning of the year, going to be doing some more uh, Silverlight tours. We're doing uh, Silverlight tours, as well as the Windows Phone tour. We're going to be in mm -hmm. LA in January, and we're going to be in DC in in February and of course I'm everywhere. Um, mm. We, uh, 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 I'll of course be at Mix and some of the conferences as, as the spring comes on, uh, Dev Connections mm. and those mm. sorts of things. So you know, don't be afraid to stop by and say hello. And you can of awesome. course reach 
me and all these classes at agilitrain.com. That's A-I-G-I-L-I-T-R-A-I-N.com. Awesome. Sean, thanks again for talking to us. It's always a pleasure. You're very welcome. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.